Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. We are also authors and we invite you to check out our books, including my book, The 2030-Something Garden Guide, a no-fuss, down-and-dirty gardening 101 for anyone who wants to grow stuff. And guess what, Carol? What, D? My book is six years old today. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday book. book. And my books, including Potted and Pruned, Homegrown and Handpicked, and Seeded and Sodded, my trilogy of gardening humor. You can find any of our books at your favorite bookstore or find them online wherever books are sold. Speaking of online, you can also find us as The Garden Angelus on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. And we'd love for you to join our Facebook group, The Garden Angelus Garden Club. And now, this week's episode. Hello, Dee. Hello, Carol. And it's a bright, wintry morning here. It feels like I live in Seattle here. It's really nice outside. It is a balmy 56 degrees. And I went outside and took pictures of my hellebores, which are loving this weather. Cool. Yeah. Of course, let me let me just point out, last week it was 7 outside. So, you know, it's just up and down all winter this year. But that's fine. That's fine. You want to talk about our first topic? I have a quote for it. Yes, let's go for it. Seed men reckon that their stock in trade is not seeds at all. It's optimism by Jeff Hamilton. Yes, and we should say for those who don't know that Jeffrey Stephen Hamilton was an English gardener, nurseryman, and presenter on BBC's Gardener's World in the 80s and 90s. He has been, you guys might think it's Monty Don, but he was their longest serving presenter. He was also a twin. And you've been to his garden. I have been to his garden. He has a garden at Barnsdale, which consisted of 38 themed gardens over eight acres, and it's still open to the public. And we went there the year we went to Yorkshire, and I went with our friend Leonie, actually, and it still remains open to the public, and it's run by his son, Nick Hamilton, who's also an organic gardener. And uh, that's pretty cool. It is a beautiful garden, and he filmed some of his shows there. Not just the Gardener's World shows, but some of his other shows. And I'm going to guess that some of those theme gardens, and I have theme gardens too, not 38. <laughs> I probably only have 35. Only. Um, and I don't have eight acres. I have a, a fourth of an acre, no, a third of an acre. But anyway, one or more of those has perennial flowers. And that's what we're going to talk to about today is starting some perennial flowers from seed. Yes, indoors. Because we've talked about sowing annual flowers direct sow outside, and now we're going to talk about how to start seeds indoors, especially flower seeds, which are slightly different, in my opinion, than doing vegetable garden seeds. And I got to say, this week's topic got me in trouble. Because? Oh, because I was looking up some weird stuff that I've grown, and then, of course, I wanted to grow it again, and I ended up on Chilterns, which is an English, a UK garden site and seed site. And while we can't buy plants from overseas, we can buy seeds, and sometimes they have varieties we don't have. So I ended up buying a couple of, well, more than a couple, a whole bunch of seeds, which you'll get here someday. And one of them was Cerinthi, which we'll talk about more later. And I also bought some more calendula seeds, including one called Greenheart Orange. 
that I've never seen here. Nice. Oh, and I bought seeds from Territorial Seeds, too. I didn't just go to the UK. I went to the United States also. Well, the thing about perennials, and I've started some perennial flowers inside, is um, a lot of people think that you have to start these outside and they have all kinds of complicated conditions, but there are many good perennials that you can start from seed indoors, Mm -hmm. and it's a very economical way to get a bunch of perennials. Especially if you want to try... A new seed perennial, like if you liked uh, Cheyenne's, is it Cheyenne Spirit? Yeah, Cheyenne Spirit. Cheyenne Spirit, Echinacea, a good way to get a whole bunch of them, if you're wanting to do a bunch, would be to sow the seeds indoors, or you could cold sow them outside if you wanted to, but that's another topic. Um, The thing about those is, if you do that, that's a seed variety and it's a mix, it's a mix of a bunch of different cultivars. And so you want, you're not going to get the exact color you want, maybe. And by the time they're blooming, they'll already be out in the garden. So as long as you don't care about the heights being different and the colors being different, you're okay. But one of the ones I thought of that we, sh- that we should start indoors if we're going to grow it outside, especially in my state, is Black Eyed Susan's. Yes, and the Rudbeckia herta varieties. Yes. The, we talked about these many podcast episodes ago. There are tons of the varieties out there, and you can buy seeds for all of these. You can, and it's a whole lot cheaper. But the thing in Oklahoma that's so important, and it may be true in Indiana too, is by the time these are sold in the stores, in the nurseries, yes, they're blooming, but it's the worst time to transplant them. And so you put this plant out there that's already got a bloom on it, all of its leaves. It needs a lot of energy from its roots, and you stick it out in hot, hot soil. And guess how well that just works? That does not work well at all. No. And so when I would talk about these great plants, people would say, oh, I've tried to grow those, but I can't. Well, you can if you start the seeds indoors. So I'm going to tell you a couple of varieties that I think are good. Well, maybe four or five. So I've grown a bunch of them. And so I like the Cherokee Sunset Mix. I think it's nice. I like Sahara. Prairie Sun is beautiful. It's way prettier than Irish Eyes, in my opinion. It has a green halo, and it's an All-American Selections winner. Cherry Brandy is red. And then the Chim Chimney Mix has quilled petals. And so you can... You can grow all of these and know you don't have to treat them as annuals. Some of them will come back or reseed. Um, they do both. I've had them do both. The big thing you got to protect them from are caterpillars because caterpillars love Rebecca Herta. Good point. And then tell us about this uh, uh, weird stuff that you found, D. Oh, the weird stuff that I decided to grow? Okay. So, Cerinthi Major is honeywort, and honeywort is all over, well, all over gardens in Great Britain, just like Bells of Ireland is. It's an unusual flower. I have some pictures of it. I will pull them up. Um, It has blue, it really has blue blooms, but they come out of a green stem, which most flowers do, so that sounds dumb. But the flower, (laughs) the flower itself starts, and so it looks like it's a green and blue bloom, but it's not. And then, um... I was just saying, you know, I just grow that one, and I bought more seeds, and I bought seeds for Bells of Ireland this year, um, which is Moliacella lavis, um, Cerinthi major, 
is commonly called honeywort. So I'm talking about two different flowers. My bells of Ireland are already up. I started them about three weeks ago because I knew they were a slow grower and I wanted to get them good and big before I put them outside. Both of these don't like the heat in Oklahoma, so you need to start them early inside and then go ahead and get them out in the garden. And then what else did I buy that was weird? Oh, well, sweet peas. Sweet Growing sweet peas in Oklahoma is weird. Do you grow them in Indiana? It's not as weird to grow them in Indiana as it is to grow them in Oklahoma. So, yes, I do grow them on occasion. You do? Well, you remember, there's this old picture of me where that you took, I think. Um, I was yes. in a garden in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle, and I smelled sweet peas for the first time. And I have this funny expression on my face. I should share it. Um, I love that picture. I look plum goofy in it, but I love it because it expresses all the joy I felt when I first smelled them. I had never smelled them. Nobody here grows them. I grow them, and mine are about four inches tall now, and I pinched them off because you're supposed to pinch them off above the first set of true leaves. That way they branch out better. The reason people in Oklahoma don't grow them is because it gets too hot here too fast, but if I can get just even a few blooms before it gets hot, I feel like it's worth it. I do agree with you. It's very worth it to grow it just for the scent alone. We should advise people, if you're going to grow sweet peas, keep them far away from your regular peas because sweet peas are poisonous. So you don't want anybody mistaking a sweet pea pod for a regular pea pod. Yeah, because they do look a little bit similar. Um, And so we don't want anybody to to poison themselves or their friends. So if you're going to start things indoors... Um, and this is true of vegetables too, okay? You need a well-drained potting soil. You'd agree? I would agree. You don't have to have seed starting soil. Um, several companies sell something called seed starting soil, which is mostly pure uh, peat moss, in my experience, and it it will almost always float away from me. And yeah, I know they say, oh, well, water the seeds from below, but I don't always do that. Um, just use a, it's also much more expensive, so don't buy that. Um, start with a good organic potting soil. And then um, you can also use a covering of plastic or you can just use plastic wrap as your, it creates a greenhouse effect for your seeds and keeps them warm and moist, which is what seeds need in order to germinate. Right. And it can also put them on a seed heating mat which is a mat that is made just for putting that flat on, and then that provides bottom heat, and that will make things germinate much, much faster. You'll get them to germinate probably without it, but you'll be happy with the results if you do use one. They're worth the money, and you can find them. Um, I Actually, they sell them here locally in Oklahoma City at the organic grower um, places, and you can also find them online. Right. And then the other thing is, once you get them to germinate, you do want to take that plastic dome or plastic wrap off. You do not want them to get wet because that's when you're most likely to introduce disease. So you want to get that off there once they start germinating. Right. And you're going to need lights. Now, you don't have to have grow lights. Um, I actually use a mix of fluorescent lights in my seed starting station. And one, it has a pink or red fluorescence, and the other one has a green fluorescence. You don't even have to have those. Frankly, you can just use regular fluorescent lights, but I like the I like the full spectrum, so I use full spectrum lights. Um, seed starting station, I built it a few years ago for, oh, I think it was for Fiskars, an article I did for Fiskars, and I still use it, and I keep it in my basement now. It used to sit in my dining room, but 
my husband got tired of it being in here. The main thing is, is don't forget your seeds. Um, the problem I have in the basement is I have to give myself Siri reminders on Siri to go down and water them because once those seeds start to grow, especially if they're on a heat mat, you are definitely going to have to water them every day or every other day. Right. And you really don't have to keep them on the heat mat once they've germinated. No. Nope. You can take them off. You can. So you can. The other thing is, um, once they get their first set of true leaves, then you can very lightly fertilize them. But they don't really need fertilizer until they start to have true leaves. And then don't use full strength fertilizer. They'll be like, it's like giving a kid a beer. Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) I had to come up with some analogies. I like that one. I don't give kids beer. No. That would be bad. (laughs) And then, like any other seed that you grow indoors... Before you go plunking it outside in the garden, you have to harden it off. So you got to gradually introduce it to the outdoor conditions before it actually goes to live outdoors permanently. Right. And also look at your seed packet to see when to start seeds indoors. All seeds have different seed starting times. Um, You can probably start seeds now in Oklahoma. I mean, I have. Um, but here, you're going to have to take them. Yeah. So what was I going to say? Um, count backward from the transplant date that is on your packet of seeds. And that's how you determine when you're supposed to start the seeds. I got to thinking about something else and I was thinking about hardening off. And then I thought, oh no, Carol's already talked about that. We don't need to talk about that. Right. And so kind of to wrap this up, there's two other things that people need to know. Yes. Number one is, Perennial flowers, unlike annual flowers, may not actually bloom the first year from seed. Because the old saying is, first year they sleep, second year they creep, third year they leap. And so it might be that second year before you actually get blooms. So don't panic if it doesn't flower yet. It's really trying to become a healthy, robust plant and establish good roots before it flowers. And I would say that when you were talking about Rebecca Herta, that may very well happen. Um, it is a, some of the varieties are slow growing and it takes a long time to get them there. But the seeds that you start yourself of those plants, of those perennials, especially the prairie ones, they will not be overfed like the ones you find in the store and you transplant them at the right time. And then the following year they'll bloom with abandon because I've had that happen. Right. And we're going to post a, a link to an article from gardeners.com, which is our folks at friends at Gardener Supply. They have a very nice list of perennials that you can easily grow from seed. And I think it would be worth trying, get your feet wet, so to speak, get some success under your belt. And the next thing you know, you'll be like D going out to children's in England to buy seeds of weird varieties that you want to try. Oh, and I thought of one more thing, Carol. You want to look what? for flower seeds that don't require strat- cold stratification. Um, oh, it's absolutely. A, it's a cold period that before germinating. A good example of a flower that needs that are most milkweeds. Almost all of the milkweeds that are perennial that I know of need to have that cold stratification period. And those you're wanting to cold, so, it's a long story, but you want to cold sow outside or you want to keep them in the refrigerator. And that's way more than we have for this topic. So don't, you know, buy your milkweed seeds, but... Don't expect them to germinate unless you give them a cold period first or buy the plants from someplace that you know is organic so you don't kill your caterpillars. Right. We just wanted to say some perennials are easy to start from seed and it's a very economical way to do so unless like D, you're ordering seeds from for weird varieties from England. Shall right. we move on? 
We uh, can, but do you want to mention again about our last frost dates? Yes. Mine is May 10th. And mine for central Oklahoma is April 20th. So keep that in mind, but watch the weather because Oklahoma and Indiana are both in the middle of the country where things are weird and big cold fronts can come down the prairie and attack both of us. So watch your weather before you put stuff outside. Right. You ready for the next quote, D? I am because we're going to talk about sprouts. I'll say the quote, but I cannot say the person's name. I'll butcher it, but that's okay. The most important seed you can plant is kindness. The most important crop it yields is joy. Mashana Delwayo. That's close. Delwayo. No, good enough. You had it right, Delwayo. Delwayo. Sorry. Sorry to this author. I just found this quote. Never mind. Let's talk about sprouts. Growing spout, sprouts inside. So when we first took up this topic, we thought easy to grow and packed with vitamins. And there's a difference between sprouts and microgreens. And then we found out something else. Yes. So I did some looking around and sprouts and microgreens differ in that sprouts are basically grown without any soil, sometimes just like on a, sometimes just in a wet container and sometimes just like on dampened towels or something inside Mm -hmm. a jar. So you eat the whole thing. Microgreens, you grow in a little bit of soil and you generally cut those off and just eat the tops. So with the sprouts, they tell us, get this D, before, (laughs) before you grow them, you're supposed to sterilize the seed. Uh, okay. I didn't do that. I didn't do that yeah. with sprouts or microgreens. I, I I think it makes sense after you told me. You don't have to do that with microgreens because with microgreens, you're just eating the tops. You're not eating the roots in the soil. I get it. I get it. Um, so, yeah. With the sprouts, you're eating everything. And so they have recommendations and, um, so I looked them up. Yeah. And it's from our friends at Botanical Interest. And they sell a ton of seeds for sprouting. They do. That's been kind of a specialty of theirs. So what you're supposed to do, and they, they're quoting the University of California at Davis. Well, that's a, is, good, that's a good source. <laughs> you get a solution of 3% hydrogen peroxide, which you can buy at the store. Mm-hmm. And you heat the seed up for five minutes at 140 degrees, and you have to use like a candy or cooking thermometer because you don't want to go above 140 degrees. Yeah, you'll kill it. it. You'll kill the seed, (laughs) and then once you've cooked them at 140 degrees in that solution, which I don't even know how you keep it that temperature, especially on an electric stove like I have. Anyway, you rinse the seed in room temperature, and then you're ready to start sprouting. Okay, well, I don't tell anybody else to do this, but this is how I sprouted seeds. I actually got a kit from Botanical Interests a while back, didn't read the directions at all, and just sprouted those suckers. I just <laughs> I just grew them and I ate them. And you know what? I survived. But I'm not telling any of you to do that because apparently you're supposed to do all that other stuff. So um, let's talk about microgreens instead. <laughs> I have grown microgreens, and they're fairly easy to do. Yeah, there's nothing to it. Mescaline is kind of a microgreen if you if you harvest yeah. it small. 
You usually buy a mix of seeds that's labeled for microgreens. It's got like radishes or kale or broccoli, um, spinach, even like pea shoots. You basically sow them on a in a shallow tray. You don't need a lot of soil. No, because they don't have to grow big roots. No, you you sprout them, you grow them, and then when they start to get their first set of true leaves, you cut those suckers off, wash them off, and eat them. That's Yay. It. That's more my style. I am not going to be heating up hydrogen peroxide with seeds in it. I'm just not. I'm too lazy to do that. I'll buy sprouts. My piece of advice when you do microgreens is uh, you really do want to sow like a few every few days because... No one needs a full flat of microgreens all at once. Right. Trust me. So like, I get those little square containers like you can, that sometimes like um, fruit or lettuce or something comes in little square containers. And right. I use those. I put a layer of paper towel, a little layer of soil, sow some seeds, put them under light. And it's like a four by six inch block. And that is plenty for putting on a salad or something. I use payway containers with holes stabbed in the bottom. I love payway containers for starting seeds because they, they're already a little greenhouse because they got the little clear top and then you just pull off the top once things sprout. And then, yeah, I use them for all kinds of things. So, and you can also sow them really thickly if you're going to make microgreens because you're harvesting really soon. And it's a very popular thing in trendy restaurants. When I go to trendy restaurants, they often have a big tray of microgreens sitting up by the bar so that mint and stuff can be used in drinks, but also so they can sprinkle them on your salads. It's a thing. It is a thing. So we've talked ourselves out of sprouts. No, I'm not doing that again. But microgreens, that's a nice thing. For us, I mean, if you want to go to the trouble of growing sprouts, we'd love to hear about it because I want to know how you kept them at 100, under 140 degrees when you cooked them. Um, let's talk about what's on our bookshelf this week. What's on the bookshelf? We've got a new book. Dee, you want to talk about it? It's a pretty little book. It looks like um, it's called Garden Alchemy. It's by a friend of ours that we've known through the blogging world for years, uh, Stephanie Rose of Garden Therapy, that was her blog, and um, it has 80 recipes and concoctions. So this is a crafty book. You know, the crafty gardening book is kind of a big deal right now. Um, people don't just want to garden, they want crafts. And Stephanie is really good at these, and so she's a, it's a great idea to do it, you know, to follow it. Um, she calls Garden Alchemy... Um, well, she says it's shrouded in controversy. So I don't know. I don't know exactly why, except for people were also trying to turn base metals into gold. Probably the church didn't like it back then. But anyway, she goes on and she talks about soils and mulches, how to do your own pH tests, how to do soil pH tests, water pH tests. I mean, it's really, it goes from very easy projects like turning your hydrangeas from pink to blue to much more difficult ones. And I think if you know, if you want to know, I guess the scientific side of gardening, this would be a great book to do with your children. What do you think, Carol? I think you could do some really good stuff with your kids in this book. I like the book a lot. I think it's fun. I think, you know, she tells a lot of good old time gardening lore, like how to 
how to do a seed germination test. A lot of us do those anyway, because if you've kept some seeds for a long time, they may still be good. And there's ways to do it. Oh, yeah. And especially if they're tomato seeds. Tomato seeds last forever. So she also tells you how to create your own starting pots. Um, just some great ideas, I thought. Seed bombs, cute seed bombs. Yeah, I like seed bombs. I think seed bombs would be a really fun thing to do with kids. Yeah, just don't throw them in somebody's yard where they don't want them because they get mad. Have you done that? Do you know this for sure? No, but there was a big controversy about seed bombs about five years ago. And I was like surprised that there, you remember that whole gorilla gardening thing that went on for a while where people just threw them in abandoned lots. So just do your own seed bombs, give them to gifts for teachers, for friends. Um, She made some heart shaped ones in here that would be darling for Valentine's Day, even though we're past Valentine's Day. But I like hearts anyway. I have on a heart shirt today. Nice. Yeah. I like that. I think and anything to get kids to get out in the garden and get their hands dirty is a good thing. And that's why I would do seed bombs for sure. Ask for this at your local bookstore. Um, she also does worms, and that would be really fun too. I think the kids would enjoy the worms because kids love worms. Um, ask for it at your local bookstore, and we will also put a link um, from our website on how you can find it on one of the online sources. Right. And here's something interesting. I was at my local bookstore, which is Wild Geese Bookstores down in Franklin, Indiana. And I always kid her. She doesn't carry a lot of gardening books. She has a few of my books, naturally. But it's always interesting because she dabbles at gardening Mm -hmm. with her mother. What books kind of pique her interest when she's ordering books? Right. So I was down there last week, and she had Garden Alchemy on the shelf. Oh, neat. Well, that's neat. I think any book that gets people into gardening who wouldn't normally do gardening is the best kind of book. I mean, that's what I tried to do with my book. Right. I think that's what I tried to do with my books of humor. I think so, too. I think it's what we're trying to do with this thing. Anyway, if you're local in Indianapolis, Wild Geese Books had a copy of Garden Alchemy on the shelf last week. Can't guarantee it's there this week, but go down there and tell her that Carol sent you. Okay, so we have another quote. I'll read it this time. Yes. The lesson I have thoroughly learned and wish to pass on to others is to know the enduring happiness that the love of a garden gives. That's by Gertrude Jekyll. And Gertrude Jekyll was amazing. She was another British gardener. We have a lot of British stuff on this particular podcast. We do. And not on purpose. But she was she no. was known for her color gardens. She was very much into color. And um, one of the very first roses that came out by um, David Austin Roses was Gertrude Jekyll. And those of you who grew roses 30-something years ago will know that it was one of three that came across the pond. And um, I grew it way back when, and it is still, even though it's old, it's still one of my very favorites. It has great scent, and it's a beautiful shade of pink. Nice, but that's not our topic. That's not, but it's just a little lore about our other deal. Tell about our topic, Carol. Well, our topic is we want to give a shout out to the National Garden Bureau, which is celebrating 100 years in 1920. They started in 1920, and here in 2020, they are celebrating 100 years. Right. And so they are, they were started because um, a journalist and a seed company manager said, hey, people just don't know enough basics about gardening. So they started this nonprofit organization to share information uh, with gardeners everywhere. 
And they really became sort of a thing, a big thing in World War II, of course, when everybody was encouraged to grow a victory garden wherever they were. Right. And then they've gone on from there. And in the 1970s, they joined with All America Selections, which is the organization that chooses really good varieties of vegetables and fruit. Not, and not, not fruit. No, vegetables. Flowers. Yeah, vegetables and flowers. And they do annuals and perennials now. And they've actually, I think, broadened into shrubs. I think that's brand new. But one of the flowers that we mentioned above, um, I think it was Indian Summer, is an All-American selection. And I can, I can attest to the fact that if you go over to the AAS website, which is part of the National Garden Bureau's website, you can find out, you'll find that many of the hybrids that we grow today are All-American selections. I mean, really old ones. There's a bunch of old ones that we still grow. Right. But the National Garden Bureau, celebrating the 100 years, kind of kicked off things in February. And if you go to Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and you follow them, they're going to have, I think, a lot of different contests and giveaways throughout the years. So we want to give a shout out to them so that people can follow them. And it really is a good source of information. It is. Great information, great varieties. And I actually got to go on a thing with them one time. I'm one of their National Garden Bureau plant nerds. And that was, that was a really great experience and taught me a lot about how varieties are chosen for the marketplace. Right. And, um, I've never been on that. You were asked. Did I get in? Yes, you did. I was asked. You were asked, but you couldn't go that year. I think I was uh, a working girl back then. And so I didn't take off the time. Now you would go, wouldn't you? I'd go in a heartbeat if she'd invite me again. <laughs> Maybe she'll listen to this podcast and she will. <laughs> Maybe. But they're the ones um, that give us the year of. So it's the year of the iris, the year of lantana, the year of lavender, the year of corn, year of hydrangea. So it's really to promote those different kinds of plants and vegetables. Which is awesome. It is very awesome. So anyway, that's the National Garden Bureau. We'll put links out on our notes so people can follow them, a source of good gardening information, 100 years and growing. That's amazing. So that's our show for this week, D. So we want to thank everyone for listening to The Garden Angelist. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. That helps us get noticed by others. A special thank you to the re- the two recent reviews I just saw on Apple Podcasts. I so appreciate you guys. It makes a huge amount of difference. Yes, and be sure to check out our show notes for links to more information about today's topics plus links to our own website. It was lovely to chat with you over the garden gate today. Bye until next week. Bye.